We are going to ask my... Do you know how long I've known Rebecca? <laughs> Do you know how long I've known Pastor Rebecca? We go. we go like way, way back. And she's afraid I'm going to tell stories about her. I can, can tell any story you want. <laughs> <laughs> I knew Rebecca before she was in youth group. I was only I was only five, but I knew Rebecca. <laughs> Rebecca, for you guys who know, does everybody know Pastor Rebecca? Yes. The, oh, look, there's people that don't know you, Pastor Rebecca. <laughs> pastor Rebecca is the wife of Pastor Steve, who's our youth and young adult pastor. And that means, of course, she's also the youth and young adult pastor. That's really what that means. <laughs> yes. And she also happens to be the daughter of Pastor Gary. So, that's Pastor Rebecca. And Pastor Rebecca, I used to babysit Pastor Rebecca. I got ungrumpy by jumping up and down. And praying. Skinny people get ungrumpy by jumping up and down. her sister's eyeballs out. <laughs> now that's been a few years. We don't do that anymore. A few years. <laughs> okay, 25 years. But I still remember it. I had to pull them apart. It was fun. <laughs> she wants to talk. Merry Christmas, ladies! It is. If you go in any store, right. it's Christmas time. There's Christmas music playing. I've already started pulling out my Christmas decorations. My Christmas ringtone. Really? Already. Put it on today. We're kindred spirits here, me. How many of you guys love Christmas? Get up. Stand up. Jump up and down. <laughs> Katrina says it makes you happy. And sing jingle bells while you sing. Let me jump. Sing jingle bells while you sing. So, how's everybody doing tonight? Good. I think you guys had a good time so far in the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is literally one of my all time favorite books of the Bible. Anybody else? One, it's one of the only two books named after a woman. Holla! <laughs> right? And it's written as a narrative, which I really love. And not many books of the Bible are written as a short story. And I think that's really cool about the book of Ruth, right? So, um, you guys are coming off of Women's Retreat. How many of you guys went to Women's Retreat? Woo! <laughs> uh, sure how I that reaction. How many went to Retreat? Thank you. I missed being there. I was actually going to say that because I did not get to go to retreat this year. So those of you in this room who did not get to go, do not fear. <laughs> the Lord is still with you. <laughs> You're welcome. 
But they, their theme of retreat was redeemed. So that's why they chose the book of Ruth following up with retreat. So I'm very excited about it. And re redemption is one of the huge things in the book of Ruth. So I'm excited to talk about that tonight. But I wanted to say that God is amazing. Works in mysterious ways. So I miss retreat, as I said. My husband and I were at a youth pastor's conference in San Diego, California. And it was incredible. And we came out with a lot of amazing things for our the next generation coming up, and we're really excited about what God has. One of them is sitting right here. She's one of our students. The only one here, right? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Represent. <laughs> <laughs> so we're really excited to go to that conference. Sad to miss retreat. All that to say, I don't know if my mom shared last week, but we went to Vermont. I think we've been back for two weeks now. It's like the week after retreat. So we went to Vermont. I'm wearing my Vermont shirt so I could represent. They make these things called maple creamies in Vermont. I don't even know how to describe them. Just really magical. Soft, fluffy coldness. It's delicious. So that's what this shirt represents, maple creamies. So anyway, we got stuck in Vermont. Did she share that story? Okay, so we got stuck in Vermont. And we missed our flight. You can laugh. I thought I was expecting laughter. It's fine. <laughs> so we missed our flight. My dad was like, how can four grown women miss a flight? <laughs> and then, like, he went into like man mode, you know? I was like, really? That's what it's going to be about right now? <laughs> okay. So um, Melanie, does anybody remember the Schultzes? Melanie and Jeremy Schultz. So they were, so for those of you who don't know, they were the, youth, uh, the music pastors of The Fix. Um, a few years back. Well, they moved to Vermont to pioneer a church. And God is doing really great things there. And we are a parent church to them. So they're our sister church. And we support them and help them in any way that we can in ministry. Well, we're standing at the airport trying to figure out what to do. And flights home were like $500, $800, you know, things that you don't afford to do when you have children in the house. <laughs> but my mom, who does not have children in the house, took the flight home at 6 a.m. next day. <laughs> So when we do retreats, 
you know, the thing is over and we blast that business. I mean, like we are torn down and out of there in like seconds, right? So, I mean, it's a smallish retreat, but she still got, like, a projector screen, a projector and computers, and, like, we rearranged the furniture. She had this little, like, house that she rented in the most beautiful country you could ever imagine. It was gorgeous. So this retreat ends, and the three of us hop up, and we're like, okay, you do this, and you do this, and the girls are like... Like, I could see them, like, physically, like, step back from us. Yes? yes? 
Okay, good. I, I like to have reference when I'm reading the Bible. I like to know like where they are at. It helps me to have a reference, and it helps me to go deeper in the Word. So I just like to see, like, okay, so Bethlehem was here. Moab was over here. She had to travel across. So I put that on there in case you hadn't heard that yet or seen it and wanted to see it. So there it is. So you can kind of get an idea of where her hometown was and where she had to travel to Bethlehem. So, <clears throat> very excited about tonight. And um, redeemed, right? It's a beautiful word. Yeah? So redeemed is the act of being delivered or rescued, the act of being bought back. So how many of you guys buy something, someone takes it from you, and then you buy it back from them, right? It's kind of nonsense, like it doesn't really make sense. But that is what Christ did for us, correct? He, was, he gave us the ultimate example of redemption. He bought back what he already owned. He paid the ultimate price. So he formed us, he created us in his own image, yet he sent his son to the earth to pay the price for our sins so we could find a redemption. He rescued us from ourselves. And that is huge. And redemption is the main running theme of Ruth. So let's take a look at chapter 4. We're going to dig a little bit into some history. See what God is, has to show us. Um, so chapter 4, verse 1, he was at the town gate because that was where all the leading proceeding, legal proceedings happened. So the town gate was the center of activity. It's where um, people could not leave or enter the, the, the town without going through the city gate. So the merchants would set up temporary shops near the gate. They also, it also served as the city halls where legal proceedings would happen. The elders of the town would gather there so if legal things needed to happen. The town gate was the place to be. And a lot of times gossips would hang out there too, which is why people had heard that Ruth was a noble woman. Because people hang around the town gate and people hear things and they see things. And so the town gate. So Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so, right? So obviously Boaz is some importance, right? And we've seen that through the rest of the chapters as well. He is a wealthy man. He is, has standing in the city. Um, there is speculation that he could have been maybe one of the founding fathers of Bethlehem, but he was definitely one of the elders of the city and really respected in the town. So he gathered the ten men because in Jewish tradition that was the number of witnesses that was needed in order to make a legal transaction of that magnitude. Anything that was like had to do with inheritance or marriage or divorce or um, property transfer would have required a full court, which is ten. So we see that Boaz is setting it all up. He gathers ten men. I like to think of him like, hey, uh, I need ten of us. <laughs> Any uh, ten elders available at this moment in time? Please come forward. I don't know why he has a New York accent. It's just right <laughs> it helps me connect with God's word. So you can judge me, it's fine. So then he's like, hey, uh, you, the uh, guy with no name. The uh, nearer of kin, can you, uh, why don't you come over and have a seat here among us? So I've got a proposition. Yeah, I'm going to keep going. It's going to be fine. We're going to get through it together. That's why I wore this. Okay, so, so he gathers them around and he says, all right, I've got a proposition for you, no-name guy. Um, there's this, you know, Naomi's back. Her husband's dead. She's a widow, she's got some land she wants to sell. So if you're interested, that's great. If not, it's cool. I might be interested, maybe. I don't know, maybe. 
testing. <laughs> it's a sign that the Lord says stop doing a New York accent. <laughs> I'm not sure which way it's going to go. Anyway. So the dude's like, yeah, heck yeah, sure. I'll, uh, see, I already lost it. It's fine. I'm just going to take it as a sign. So the guy's like, yeah, I'll totally redeem it. And Boaz is like, he, he either had one or two responses. One, he was like, oh, shoot. But I think, personally, he was like, <laughs> gave a little smirk. And then he was like, oh, by the way, <laughs> if, you, if you redeem this land, it also comes with the Moabite Ruth. You got married so that her husband's name can continue. Oh. But you know, whatever you want to decide is fine. What are you going to do? Right? So then the guy's like, oh, dude, no. I cannot. Right? He says, no. I am not going to redeem. So why does he, why does he retract his desire to redeem the land? There would have been two reasons. And Boaz would have not been any different in this situation. Keep that in mind. Number one, Mary and Ruth would have meant that any son she would have had legally would keep her dead husband's name. Right? So it was custom in the days so that her husband's line would be able to continue on. So this would mean that he wouldn't have any rights to the land and all the rights would belong to the son of Ruth. Therefore, the land would never pass into his own family's possession. So it's not a great business deal. Number two, the second reason he may not have wanted to redeem the land was that he would have had to take away inheritance from the children he may have already had in order to purchase the land. Okay? So... He was in no different situation than Boaz, but they had very different responses, right? Boaz, being a man of integrity, said, yes, I will marry you, Ruth. I will help you continue the line of your husband, and I will take care of you and Naomi. And this guy is like, uh, no. This does not <laughs> serve my best interest. So he was very selfish in his actions, and Boaz was very much the opposite, very selfless in his actions, right? Either way, the first line is the kinsman redeemer, whether this reason number one or reason number two, he was only looking out for his own interests, and he couldn't see past the short-term risk to his own life and wealth on earth. But Boaz saw something different, right? So he passes up this opportunity and then becomes a nameless, anonymous person in history, where Boaz it gets to continue on. Okay, so, so Boaz probably did have a good inclination that that would be his response. That's my guess anyway. That's my Becca interpretation. Take it or leave it. <clears throat> but he did a good job of setting it up either way. He didn't give him a lot of time to think. Um, he just kind of did. He just kind of offered it out there. Didn't give him a lot of time to think and said, do you want it, yes or no? Well, if not, I'll probably do it. And if no one told he was going to. So a kinsman redeemer. Why would Naomi and Ruth have needed a kinsman redeemer? A kinsman redeemer was a close relative who, by Israelite law, had the first option to buy land that was being sold by someone within the clan. So as a way of keeping it in the clan, the kinsman redeemer would be able to do that. It was also their duty to marry the widow of their brother if he died childless in order to perpetuate his line. And the word brother, just as you will see in the rest of the chapter that the word son later on with Naomi, is not in reference to her literal son or literal brother. It's just in reference to a general term of family or ancestry. So the land that was owned would have been in Naomi's husband's name, Elimelech, that we see in chapter 4, and it was his family's land. Most likely he had inherited it from his family. But the custom back then was to keep the land in the family as much as possible. But Ruth and Naomi were in a desperate position, and they needed to sell the land 
for survival. They needed the money to be able to provide for themselves, and widows were very looked down upon. They had very few rights in that day, and they were taken advantage of oftentimes, and um, totally not upheld in any kind of esteem. So they would have needed that money to survive. So that is why Boaz stepping up as the kinsman redeemer was key to their survival. They would not have been able to prosper without him. So it was huge for them. The truth is that Ruth was given the opportunity, right, to return to her homeland, find a guy, Miriam, Naomi tells her, hey, go, go back to your homeland. Go find a man. Go get married. Take care of yourself. It'll be fine. And what does Naomi say? Right? She practically begs Naomi to stay with her. I truly believe in my heart, because the Moabites were a very deplorable people and did terrible things, and they worshipped small gods. And I think that when she encountered Naomi's son, she encountered God. And when she met Naomi, she saw God in Naomi. And Naomi was able to, was able to lead her in a relationship with God that she never knew even existed. So Naomi, to her, was the path. She was like, oh no, I am not leaving you. I am staying by your side. I am going to, your God is my God. Your people are my people. And she made that choice for herself when she could have made a different one. And her life could have been very different, right? So she walks in obedience to what she knows is true from the Lord. And she feels that deep down in her gut. And I know she did. I know she felt an unction from the Lord that said, no, stay with Naomi. I have better things for you. So she stays with Naomi. And not only could she have gone back to another land, but Boaz even says to her in Ruth chapter 3, verse 10. Does somebody have the Bible open? Just read that really quick, loudly. Ruth chapter 3, verse 10. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. So that's an indication that, that Boaz might have been kind of an older dude, Right? And he even tells her, dude, what are you doing? You could have gone after younger men. You could have gone after somebody different. But she knows what the right choice is, and she felt it in her gut from the Lord, and she knew to be obedient. So she went after what God had for her. You know, it reminds me of, you know, so often we trade what we think is going to be so amazing. We trade our souls for. And God's standing before us saying, I have something better. Don't you see it? Don't you see the redemption that I have to offer you? And it reminds me of a little story, and it's a little silly, but I picked up Judah from school on Friday. Miss Felix, his teacher. And they're standing in the hall with another parent and another kid, and I'm like, oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, what did he do? So apparently he had traded this sharp tooth necklace, and he had traded it the week before for three crayons, and Miss Felix made them trade back and said no trading at school. Well, then he traded it again at the end of school on Friday. Rut row. <laughs> and um, traded it at the end of school again for a crystal bead. Whoa. <laughs> so my first thought is he does not like his sharp tooth necklace. <laughs> Come to find out, it's his brother's sharp tooth necklace. <laughs> So, yes, he was willing to trade his brother's sharp tooth necklace. But I looked at him and I said, buddy, what? What were you thinking? Why were you trading that? Like, do you not like it? He's like, well, it's itchy and it's Zeke's. Okay, first of all, that's another issue we'll talk about later. But why are you trading for a silly, like, little bead? He goes, mommy, it was a real 
couple of stuff. I said no. <laughs> it was plastic. <laughs> he goes, it was. <laughs> he told me it was a real crystal. But I think, well, as I was studying chapter four, I, and it made me think, how often do we trade something in our lives or our soul? or our salvation, or whatever it is that is an issue for you. How often do we trade that for something that looks shiny, but it's an imposter? And that's a silly example, but I'm telling you, it brought it home for me, and I was like, huh, that's interesting. He could have had a shark tooth necklace, and instead he traded for a plastic bead, or three grams. <laughs> right? What is the value in that? There's no value. So Jesus stands before us with the ultimate gift of redemption, but instead we often accept cheap invitations and knockoffs. But he is our redeemer. And I get excited about this book because it's such truth that we find throughout the whole entire chapter. And Ruth wasn't settling for anything less than the best. She was holding out. And God truly honored her for that. <clears throat> so Boaz buys the land, and he also marries Ruth. We're going to skip to verse 10 now. So in verse 10, I've also taken Ruth, who is from Moab, to become my wife. She is Malon's widow. I've decided to get married to her so the dead man's name will stay with his property. Now his name won't disappear from his family line. It won't disappear from the town records. Today, you are witnesses. So Boaz rescues these two women from a hard life of poverty and struggle and took them in as his own. It was a selfless act of grace and mercy. He put aside his own needs for the needs of grace, for Naomi and Ruth, right? So verse 11, and the elders and all who are at the gate spoke. They said, we are witnesses. The woman who is coming into your home, may the Lord make her to be like Rachel and Leah. That's huge. Rachel and Leah were foreigners in their land, and they built up the nation of Israel. And, you know, the, her being compared to them was not by accident, and it was not insignificant. And they were grafted into God's people just as Ruth was grafted into God's people. So they compare her and, and, and give a blessing. And they say, together they built up the nation of Israel. May you be an important person in Ephratah, which is just another name for Bethlehem. May you be famous in Bethlehem. The Lord will give you children through this young woman. May your family be like the family of Perez. He was a son to Marahad by Judah. So the elders of the town see the worth in Ruth. They see her value. And even though she's a foreigner, obviously her obedience to Christ and to God had, it was exemplified in her actions. People saw her and they knew that she belonged to God. They knew that she was a woman of God and they knew she was a woman of integrity and character, right? That's why the elders gathered around and gave such a wonderful blessing. So, um, verse 13. Boaz got married to Ruth. She became his wife. Then he made love to her. Hello, there's some intrigue. So the Lord blessed her so that she became pregnant and she had a son. So, if you were looking for intrigue, there you go. Made love to her. And she gave birth to a son. Giving birth to a son was huge, right? It meant that the family name would continue on. So the Lord blessed her with a son. So, verse 14. The women said to Naomi, We praise the Lord. Today he has provided a family protector for you. May this child become famous all over Israel. He will make your life new again. He'll take care of you when you're old. He's the son of your very own daughter-in-law. She loves you. She is better to you than seven sons. So the women who are speaking here are most likely the same women that we see in chapter 1, verse 20, when they said, could this be Naomi? Right? So when she enters Bethlehem again, and she returns to her homeland, they're like, whoa, is this Naomi? 
That to me says she was probably looking pretty tore up, right? She had gone through a lot. And they had traveled pretty far to get there. And it would have been rough travel. It would not have been easy travel. It's not like they hopped in their sedan or their forerunner, right? And just drove over. I mean, that would have been a long, hard trek. So it would have been the same woman. So when Naomi first arrived, they would have seen the state that she was in, and I'm sure it was not pretty. She was in the depths of despair. She was hopeless and feeling abandoned by God. So these women were witness to what God had done for her. And that is huge. You know, they, they got to see the fulfillment, got to see it to the end. So then they say that she is better to you than seven sons. So seven sons symbolized the supreme blessing that could come to a Hebrew family. Seven sons was kind of like the key ultimate blessing. So for the women to compare Ruth to that kind of blessing was there also their acknowledgement of her worth. That's huge. To say, to compare a woman to seven sons, that just didn't happen. I mean, one son wouldn't have been comparable to seven dollars, let alone one woman who is your daughter-in-law would not, would not have been comparable. They saw the value and the worth that Ruth was able to provide for Naomi and the hope that she brought to the family. So then Naomi, verse 16, put the child in her lap and took care of him. Verse 17, the women who were living there said, Naomi has a son. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. So Obed needs servant. They recognized that he would serve as Naomi's saving grace, right? She now had a son, and that son was, again, that's, that term son was used as a general ancestry term, not literal son. It's not like she was like, I'm taking a kid. And it, wasn't, it wasn't like some kind of weird grandma complex. So... <laughs> So, so now we get into the genealogy, right? So the next few verses. How many of you guys, when you're reading the word, be honest, don't lie, everybody loves Jesus, have a tendency to skip through genealogy? Holla, right? You like skim or skip it, or sometimes I go into like the last three names. Like let's get to the point. Right? Because then you can see the end. But it's not insignificant, ladies, the genealogy. So I'm telling you, I definitely have been guilty of skipping the genealogy a time or two, or skimming it, or looking down briefly, but they're not insignificant, and they often reveal God's plan through history, so that as the reader, we become connected to God's word, and we can see kind of the dots connect, and we can see God's plan at work. That's why the genealogy is there, and it's huge, and this one is definitely no different. So in verse 18, it says, here's the family line of Perez. Perez was the son of Judah through Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amminadab. Amminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David. So when you get to the end there, it's like, ooh, okay. You can see God's kind of plan coming to work. You can see his redemption at work through Ruth and Naomi and his grace through Boaz and what he did for them. So I think about how it goes full circle. Did you guys think about that? Like they're in the town of Bethlehem. They give birth to a man named Obed. Obed gives birth to a man named Jesse. Jesse gives birth to a man, to a man named David. David was one of the great kings in biblical history. And we know that he was the lineage of Jesus Christ, who is the savior of our soul, who was also born in Bethlehem. That is crazy, okay? That, we don't make this junk up. It's like, what in the world? Like, it comes full circle.
circle. And now, like, all these pieces and parts start coming together. And I think when I first saw all of this, it was, like, huge for me. Because I'm like, man, that is awesome. Because if God will do it for them, he will do it for me. I am no different than Ruth. And you are no different than Ruth. Ruth was obedient, and she loved the Lord with all of her heart. If you are obedient and you love the Lord with all your heart, he will bring everything full circle for you, I promise. Naomi was in the depths of despair, and he brought things full circle for her. Romans 8.28. How many of you guys know it? Huh? If you know it, say it with me. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Write that down, ladies. If you don't have that memorized, I encourage you tonight to get that verse engraved in your heart and memorize it because it will be what gets you through battles. It will be what gets you through tough times. It will sustain you when you are in the depths of despair. It will sustain you. And the key to this verse is actually the second part. We like like to repeat, in all things, God works for good, right? Amen. Amen. Get on board with that, right? But the second part of that that is that God works in all things for the good of those who love him. And that is the key, ladies. If you love him, he will work all things for good. And we see that over and over and over through scripture. So, did God kill their husbands? No. Does he cause bad things to happen? No. Does he use them for good? Yes. Yes. And that is what you need to hold on to in those moments and in those times. Hold on to that. It's scripture. It's God-breathed. So Naomi loved the Lord, too. It's evident in her relationship with Ruth. I believe, like I said before, that Naomi was the reason that Ruth even found the Lord. And she was good to Ruth, and that is why Ruth wanted to stay with her. You know, she saw God in her. So when we find her, and when we find Naomi and Ruth, she is what? She's hurting, right? But she loves him still. She totally clings to the Lord still, but she feels what? Abandoned. How many of you guys have felt abandoned by God? How many of you guys have been in that place? Thank you for your honesty. I'm like, I cannot be the only one who has felt abandoned, right? And you feel kind of trapped in your own sorrow and and trapped by abandonment, and you're not sure where God is, but God is there the whole time. So God has taken a Moabite woman who is a widow and another widow, and in their obedience, they become the great-grandma and the great-great-grandma to David, who is the lineage of Jesus Christ, that is redemption, ladies. And that is proof that God uses who he chooses to fulfill his work and promises. God chooses, and he has chosen you. He looks at you and says, man, you're gorgeous. You're beautiful. Look at what I've created. I want to do something with you. I want to use you. So that's exciting stuff, right? So let's read. How am I on time? You're good. I'm good? Okay. So Romans, I want to go back to Romans chapter 8. I want to go a couple verses before verse 28. Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. So verse 26 26 says, In the same way, Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The verses before are just as significant. That's right. I mean, they're huge. And Naomi was in that place. She was weak. She was groaning. But the Spirit of the Lord interceded for her. And I believe that with all my heart. Because he knew she loved him. 
And in verses 13 through 17 of chapter 4, she moves from emptiness at the beginning of the story to fullness at the end of the story. She moves from poverty and sorrow to security and joy. And that is God's redemption at work right there. And he has the same to offer you. So ultimately, at the end of the story, we see how God poured out his love into two widows whose ending could have been very different, right? And there is an awesome parallel that we can see in the book of Ruth to our redemption in Jesus Christ, and I love that about Ruth. We are brought to fullness and hope through our family redeemer, who is Jesus Christ. Apart from Christ, the Bible indicates that we, like Naomi, in the beginning of the story, exist in a state of hopelessness. We all fall short of God's standard of absolute perfection and are therefore eternally separated from Him. Romans 3.23, you know it, say it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1-5, through 5, You are living in your sins and lawless ways, but in fact you were dead. You used to live as sinners when you followed the ways of this world. You served the one who rules over the spiritual forces of evil. He is the spirit who is now at work in those who don't obey God. At one time, we all lived among them. We tried to satisfy what our sinful nature wanted to do. We followed its longings and thoughts. God was angry with us and everyone else because of the kind of people we were. But God loves us deeply. He is full of mercy. So he gave us new life because of what Christ has done. He gave us life even when we are dead in sin. God's grace has saved you. That is awesome. Right? I get excited about that. Like, praise the Lord that he has paid the ultimate price so that I can be redeemed. I'm not worthy of it. I don't deserve it. But he does it anyway because he loves us and he calls us his children. So we know that we can be brought to fullness and hope through the selfless and costly sacrifice of God's son, Jesus Christ. The price has been paid, ladies. Let's act like it. Right? Let's treat ourselves like we are a treasure worth the cost that was paid, which is a huge high price. You know, don't treat ourselves like trash. Don't treat ourselves like we're not worthy of being loved. That we're not worthy of having redemption. We're not worthy of finding hope. We're not worthy of finding... Because all those are lies from the enemy. And God says, yes, I have stamped you mine. And I have said, you are worthy. Because I sent my son. So in a small family circle in Bethlehem, God gives us a preview of how he will bring the bitterness of life on earth to an end. That's goodness. Right? That is redemption. And that is the ultimate theme of the book of Ruth. Redemption. And there's that parallel there that I don't want you to miss, the ultimate redemption that we have in Jesus Christ. So we're almost done. I just want to give you some just really quick three three practical lessons that we can learn from the three main characters. Okay, so Boaz, the, the one of the things that he was awesome at was integrity. Right? He was an integrous man. He, everything he did was filled with integrity. You know, you, you see back in chapter 2 where he greets his servants and they say, what to him? The Lord bless you. Right? I mean, those are his servants. So obviously he treated them with respect. He told his men, don't touch Ruth. He acted with integrity. He had forthright, he was forthright with the nearer kinsman redeemer. He gave him the chance to redeem because he knew it was right. He was the right thing to do. And he was able to act selflessly in taking care of Ruth and Naomi. He was a man of integrity. And I would encourage all of you to engrave that in your hearts. Be women of integrity. Naomi, she had hope through faith in God, right? So we see her at the beginning of the story, and she's a hot mess, right? She's just messed up. But through hope and faith in Jesus Christ, or in God, 
she has she found that hope, and at the end of the story, God brought it all full circle for her, and she found redemption. She felt trapped in seemingly hopeless circumstances. She said, "Call me bitter." That's what Vinnie Mara means. Call me bitter. She was sad, but God knew, and she He saw through that. He knew that He loved her, that she loved Him. So she ended up with hope. Um, the last verses in the story show that God's plan extended beyond Naomi's personal problems, and that is the hope, right? God uses Ruth and Boaz to produce Israel's greatest king, and their great-grandson turned out to be David. Many centuries later, we know that it's the lineage of Jesus Christ. So that's our hope. Don't just focus on ourselves. That's part of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, to know that there's a bigger picture, so that when things don't go our way, we still have hope in Jesus Christ because we know that he sees the big picture. He sees the plan. We can't always see that. And sometimes it's easy to get caught in self-doubt, self taught, caught in self-pity and self-worry and just know that God has a plan. And if you hold on to that hope in Jesus Christ, it will come full circle for you. Ruth, what we learned from her was obedience, man. She was, she was an incredible example of obedience. She had the opportunity to return to her land, but she stayed obedient to what she knew God had for her and stayed with Naomi. And she strikingly exemplifies the truth that participation in the kingdom of God is decided not by blood and birth, but by the conformity of one's life to the will of God through obedience that comes through faith. That's right. It's huge. Obedience is key, and I tell our youth girls all the time, God just wants you to love them, and he wants you to obey him. The only reason that those rules are there and guidelines for our life is because he's protecting us from our stinking selves. That is why he says don't have sex before marriage because it protects us from ourselves because it's powerful. It's not just a physical act and I'm sure everybody in this room has heard that and knows that but I plug that with my youth girls all the time. It's more than that and that's why God says, you know, following Christ is not a list of do's or don'ts. The list of do's and don'ts follow when we love him because it's our love note back to him. We want to be obedient to him because we see where he's taken us and where he's brought us from. So we say, oh, Lord, that's my gift to you. It's a small gift, but it's what I can do to show you that I love you is to be obedient. And that's why we're obedient. Romans chapter 1 verse 5. I received God's grace because of what Jesus did so that I could bring glory to him. He made me an apostle to all those who aren't Jews and must invite them to have faith in God and obey him. God invites all of us to obey him, love him, and obey him. You know, risking loss is one of the lessons that we learned from Ruth. She was willing to risk loss in following the ways of God. And sometimes we have to own up to that. And we have to say, you know, sometimes following God is hard. And obedience to him sometimes is hard. I'm not going to lie to you. Sometimes the other thing looks real shiny and real pretty, but God says, obey me, and I will bring it all around, and you will see. We can't see in the moment because we're, we see like this, like we see like this far in front of our face, right? But God sees everything. So even though you can't see it, obey him, and just trust and have faith and that hope that he will bring it all around. The bottom line is, ladies, and part of this story is that generations reap what you sow. And had Ruth not been obedient, he would have chosen someone else. Because that's the way God works. But how awesome is it that she now is in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And she's written in the book of the Lord forever. 
forever. So was Boaz. Had the nearer kinsmen had stepped up, had a different response, Boaz would be the nameless character in this book. But guess what? Boaz is not a nameless character in this book. So keep in mind that our actions and our thoughts and our everything that we do will affect generations. And Ruth and Boaz and Naomi never saw those effects, a lot of them. never They never saw it in their lifetime. But we reap the benefits of their obedience. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your redemption and hope through Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross so that we could be bought back with a price. God, that you say we are something special, that you say we are worth it. And God, I thank you that you call us your daughters. God, I pray that every woman in this room would act like it. God, that they would know their worth, that they would not treat themselves as anything less. Because God, we know that you have a perfect plan. And that even though we oftentimes cannot see that plan, Lord, we need to have faith and trust that you do. So God, I ask that every woman in this room would commit that in her heart. To know that you see the big picture, that you see the big plan. And if there are women in this room who are going through a trial right now, that are going through one of those rough periods of life, and they're crying out, Lord, why have you abandoned me? God, I pray that you would give them a piece of comfort tonight. God, that they would feel your presence, that they would know that you will never leave them and never forsake them. But that, God, you are right there, and all I need to do is turn and look at you and hold on to the hope that you give us through Jesus Christ. And I thank you for these women. I thank you for this time that we've had to spend in your word and Ruth. God, thank you for your words of wisdom to us. Lord, thank you for this book that you've given to us, this gift, so that we can have a guideline for our lives. Lord, we commit to be obedient to you so that we can show you that we love you and are thankful to you.